There's so much in this message, I'm going to complete it next week. We're on a, a series called God's Invitation to a Beautiful Life. And you'll notice in the front of your bulletin, the different messages are listed there. And uh, this is actually a seven. So each of them stands alone, but of course they all build on each other. And uh, today we're going to talk about receiving God's gift of rhythm and limits. And uh, I got A there because I don't know what else to call it. And next week will be B, you know. But um, so we're going to read beginning at verse four. And it's this second account of creation. You know, uh, Genesis one describes the creation as a whole. And then Genesis two covers one segment of that creation and is seeking to make a, a, a couple of big theological points about God and us and life. All right. So let's begin at verse four. If you have a, you don't have a Bible, please look on with somebody. This is the account of the heavens and the earth where they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now the earth had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. And it's got from verses 11 to 14, list the four rivers. Verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Amen. That's going to be our text for the next two weeks, verse 15 to 17. There's two kinds of trees I want you to think of. Um, one's a banyan tree, it's found in Southeast Asia, and the other is an aspen tree, very common in North America. And we want to be aspen trees here. And I believe this passage actually gives us an insight on how to be an aspen tree. Now, a banyan tree uh, is, is a, is a self-absorbed tree. It's got these huge uh, branches, and it's got these living roots that kind of hang from the branches. And as an Indian proverb says, nothing grows under a banyan tree. Uh, it spreads its branches, it drops its, its root, it covers the land, and it provides great shade for animals and humans, but nothing grows under it. It dies because it's so intense. And uh, in fact, when the tree dies, the ground is scorched and barren. Now, on the other hand, an aspen tree is very different. An aspen tree is, has a vast underground root system. And this one tree actually, uh, I'm not a you know, botanist, but the way it somehow reproduces other roots and trunks underneath the ground and above the ground where it grows other trunks. And so one aspen tree, for example, a spectacular one, has 47,000 other trunks flowing out of it. And so you think you're looking at a forest, but you're really looking at one tree that's all connected together. And uh, it's a forest of individual trees. Now I say that because think of a banyan tree is when we're self-absorbed out of fear. And one of the definitions we're gonna give for sin today is caving into ourselves out of fear. When we become self-absorbed, we may, in a sense, have a decent life, but we don't bless anybody. We don't bring life. When we die, we leave wasteland behind us. It's just a nothing. But if we'll get ourselves rooted in God 
and allow, really, the teaching of this text to get into us, which really strikes as something fundamental in all of Scripture, and that is we, we surrender our lives uh, out of trust to the will of God for us and his love for us, we will birth, almost unknowingly, other trunks. And our life, for generations that will follow, will bring rich fruit. But it's a choice, of a, a way of life. And so the key factor, I believe, has to do with this issue of receiving or enter into this gift of rhythm and limits. And they're, and they're related, as you'll see, in just, in just a moment. Now, this passage takes place in this, this, this location called the Garden of Eden, a place where God dwells, is described of, uh, in, in the rest of the Bible. It's, it's where the first humans lived. Now, we don't know exactly where it was located, and different people say, oh, it's Iraq, you know, or it's Africa, or Armenia. We don't know for sure. Um, but what's important is that you've got this picture again, as in chapter 1, God makes this lovely world. We humans live in a world that we did not make. God made it. And we are totally dependent on God who made this world. And the moment that he, whether he withdraws the breath out of us or global warming, the sun ceases to function or whatever, or, or the atmosphere crumbles, we all die because we are dependent absolutely on God. And uh, the garden is total grace, uh, total gift. And everything that exists and is alive is a gift of grace. That's why complaining and grumbling and being envious of others is so ludicrous because the whole thing is gift from, from start to beginning. And uh, so God creates his first human beings from the dust of the earth. He creates his beautiful garden, says, work it. And right in the center of the garden, he puts these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right in the middle. And God says, work hard, but don't touch that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he sets a limit. But you'll notice in the text, and it's here, that there's great freedom. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free. And you've got to catch this. You're free. To, and, and in verse 15, it says, God puts them in the garden to work it. All right, now work is, as God created it, even though now we're in the you know, fall, work is good. We were created to work like God. And they were created to, to work the garden and um, to cooperate with God and to cultivate plants and, and boldly dream and begin to build and advance the kingdom. And what you want to catch up here is that you know, we, we tend to divide up life. You know, I go to church on Sunday, and that's my God day. And then, you know, I do the rest of my day. And then in the morning, maybe you wake up tomorrow morning, have some time with God. That's your God time. Then you go back to the rest of your world. And it's kind of like your life is divided into the sacred stuff and the secular stuff. Your religious life and your non-religious life. If you want to see in God's invitation to a beautiful life is, it's just all God. All of life is lived out in his presence. And so work, whether it's technology or literature or philosophy or the arts or music or whatever your field may be, uh, engineering or, or finance, all of it's God's and praiseworthy and sacred and holy. And Adam and Eve are given this task of mastering the earth. They're given a task of subduing the earth, is, is the word used in Genesis 1, that it cut a path through a virgin forest. You've been given something to do, just like they have. You've been given a work to do. Even if you're retired, it's irrelevant. You've been, giving, you've been given something to do, you, you, a work to do, paid or not. And so whether you're a homemaker or whether you're raising children, whether you're fixing computers, whether you're selling um, you know, parts for automobiles or, you know, financial word, world, or you're a secretary bringing order to an office. Just like God, you're bringing order out of chaos. We all are. And that's why unemployment can be so devastating because we were wired to work and to do. And, and God says, I've made you for a beautiful life. I've given you something to do in your life on earth here. It's a journey. And a big part of that is to work, you know, for my glory. And so you've been given power for that. Now, what you want to catch here is that um, you know, they're given freedom to work. 
and un undoubtedly, as they're cutting a path through a virgin forest, they're, they're experiencing joy in that, and a sense of mastery, a sense of power. It's a good thing. But then they're to stop. They get to this tree in the middle of the garden of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and God says, but you're free. But you don't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you'll die. And, and, and there's like, like, why? I mean, like, no explanation is given. Just, hey, right smack. It's good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. God says, don't eat that tree. And it's kind of like the origin of evil. Like, God never tells you the origin of evil in the Bible. It's just, you know, it's mystery, you know. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I, I want to know why. I mean, like, why? And, uh, you know, what, what's the deal here? And I'll obey if you tell me why. <laughs> and this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is very deep. Like, why on earth did God do this? Just making things hard? And there's something in us that we demand to know. And Adam and Eve had to stop at that tree. Stop working, stop doing, stop building. They were to stop and surrender, basically, to the voice of God, the will of God, and the word of God. And to trust God's love for them, even though it's, there's no reason for it. I mean, they don't understand why. Because there's something in us that, like for Adam and Eve, they, they want to want... Remember Satan said to them, Satan said to Eve, well, God doesn't want you to know this, because if you know, if you eat of this tree, you'll be just like God, knowing good... You'll know everything! the origin of the universe and why bad things happen, and, and you'll know. And, and a part of us is like, yes, yes. You see, as Augustine said, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, if you understand, it's not God you understand, because God is so far beyond us. And at this tree, when you come to this tree, Adam and Eve are confronted like we are with mystery, like I don't know. Aquinas once wrote this, whatever can be known or thought about God is less than God himself. Because we work in human language, and God is so much larger than even that. And and, and so God is close. God's right here in our midst, but God's incomprehensible. He's beyond us. He, the word's inscrutable in theology. He's hidden. He's revealed himself to us a little bit, but there's so much about God we don't understand. And uh, the very mind and intentions of God, friends, are beyond us. And uh, God is, in principle, always a hidden God. Always. And uh, this tree confronts us with that. Because you come to the tree and there, everything is enjoying freedom. All of a sudden, God says, but this one tree smack in the middle, don't eat it. And they've got to make a choice. Because after accomplishing and doing, they've got to trust and surrender. After action, they've got to be passive. After doing, they've got to let go. So remember this from our, our Sabbath series. I, I changed some words around. But there's a rhythm that they are called to engage in. In fact, there's many ways to look at the original sin, the first sin in creation, pride, rebellion, uh, independence, fear. There's lots of ways to approach it. But one, you know, some scholars would argue this, at the heart of original sin is a refusal to accept the rhythm. In other words, understand they're working and they're doing. And they're accomplishing and succeeding. And just try to imagine, you ever get on a roll, you're just on a roll, and like you just can't stop. It's kind of like you're in addictive mode. Like they're building and doing and eating and enjoying themselves. All of a sudden, they got to stop and basically surrender to God at this tree. And they're doing, now they got to let go. They're working, now they've got to Sabbath, in a sense, right? We talked about that in the whole Sabbath series. They're active, now they're to openly surrender. They're doing, now they're to be. They're Martha's, right, active, now to be a Mary, letting go. There's a 
our active busyness. Oh, there's a contemplative side. There's a pressing forward in life. Then it's a time to just retreat, be on retreat. There's a, I'm involved in history and making history, and then I'm involved in eternity. I just pause and drink and breathe the air of eternity. I'm journeying through life, and then you know what? I'm home with God. I'm just, I'm not journeying anywhere. I'm just being with him, home. I'm moving through life, but then there's a time to stop. And Adam and Eve had to stop at that point before that tree. There, I'm driving through life, and driving is not a bad thing. Having goals, someone said to me, you know, but if I, if I, you know, if God wants me to go, you know, be the next Bill Gates, I'm like, well, you go be the next Bill Gates. If that's what God wants you to do, you go do that. Don't, don't pause for a minute. But there's a time to allow. Just, I'm, I'm just allowing God, you know, to flow through my life. And I'm intentional because I got goals and plans, but then I'm, I'm, I'm intentive, and I pause to be attentive to make sure I'm listening to his voice. And I'm swimming. I like the idea of I'm swimming in the current of life, you know, but I'm, I'm doing something. But then there's a time to just like stop swimming and just float. You know, just float in God and his love for me. I'm in the city, or here we are in a city, but there's a time to get to the, to the desert. And I just, I like this idea of rhythm. And, and again, the goal of the rhythm, and God's built us for rhythm. We see God has a rhythm in Genesis 1, remember? He works and then he rests. And the whole idea of Sabbath is calling us to a rhythm of life. We work six days and we rest one for a 24-hour period and we were wired for it. Well, in the same way, at, at the heart of this, and it, remember, Sabbath cuts to the core of our spiritual lives. This rhythm idea is found in all of life. Just step back with me for a minute and think about it. We have a rhythm of seasons, right? We're in spring right now. Seasons, just the rhythm just comes every year. Spring, summer, fall, winter. Spring, summer, it just comes. It's just a rhythm. We have a rhythm of day and then the night, and then the day and then the night. It just comes constantly. Just, we, we breathe in, we, we breathe out. We have, we have light, right? And then we have darkness. You know, we wake and, and then we sleep. But there's this, we have children, right? And then the children grow up and we, we, release, we release them. You, you can't hold on to it. There's a, and these children, most of the time, have children. They release them. But there's this rhythm of life, and we live a certain amount of time, and, and then we, we live our you know, four square and ten, and where, where we go. And, and there's this rhythmic awareness of being engrossed and being detached. And if you step back and look at Jesus' life in the gospel, he's got this obedience to this deep rhythm of life. He's not frantic. He's not crazy. He's just, he's just, he's busy. I mean, he's doing a lot of stuff. But you see him constantly stopping and going to a quiet place to pray, you know. And, and over and over again in the Gospels, you see this kind of a rhythm of with lots of people and pulling back. And, and we struggle with this rhythm issue, don't we? We just, we can't stop. It's the same thing with Sabbath. We, we can't stop. And, and Adam and Eve had to stop. They, they just had to stop before that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and just be. And we're afraid if I stop the world, what's going to happen? The world's going to fall apart, you know, and who's going to be mad at me? You know, all those errands to get done and emails to answer and phone calls to respond to. And my career, I'll never make it in my career. Or I'll flunk out of school or I'll never get those projects done. And, and my life will be a disaster. And all those fears, and we, get, and we start running the universe. We start, here's the word, grasping rather than letting go in that rhythm. And here, we like control. And here's the issue here. There are boundaries to which we must bow. This text speaks of boundaries to which all of us must bow. Before this tree, I go back to it for just a second, I must, I must stop here, I must not eat from this tree, because if I do, I will die. Now you can eat from it, but you'll die, eventually, maybe not right away. It says in Proverbs 26, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. 
And God drives us crazy, doesn't he? Well, well, why? And what? And he just says, I just, it's my glory to conceal and keep it hidden from you. And uh, there's something about life and about moving through life. There's just a lot of mystery. Now listen, the evil one puts things in our minds like this. Hey, you know what? God said, don't eat from the tree. You know why? He's holding back on you. He is. He's, he's holding back on you. He'll ruin your life, God. And don't trust him. You, 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 he, he's ruining your life with all these commands. You think he's your friend? He's your enemy. Uh, we start to wrestle with, you know, run from him. Just run from God and just do it yourself. And I like this image of, of sin. One definition of is it's caved in on itself. And we hear these voices that say, you know what? God's holding back on you, ruining your life with his commands. You know, do it yourself. And so what happens is out of fear, we begin to grasp. We grab that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you know what? God may be holding back on me. And so I grab it. And there's many ways to look at sin. But one clear thing in this text is sin is grasping rather than waiting and trusting God. And they grasp the tree. And so we, we end up caving in on our, in, in our, ourselves. We get, we get self-absorbed because we get suspicious of God. We're not sure he's really good. We're not sure he's really for me. And so just in case, I'll take care of it myself. Now listen, think of it. God gave you all this freedom to, to, to explore, to do, to, to, to work to enjoy creation and others and the mystery of life. And yet it's so easy for this thing to cave in on yourself and all of a sudden it's like, ah, you know, I guess I'm like, I'm like, I'm like a, a black hole and I'm absorbing everything into myself. I like the image of, Don, I've mentioned before about the, um, the, the Inferno by Dante. He's got this picture of Satan in the pit of hell in this narrow, constricted space, flapping his wings. They used to be angel's wings, now they're bat wings. And he's frozen, he's constricted, he's in ice. And he's weeping from all six of his eyes. And, and, he, and he, he can't move because he's so self-absorbed in himself. All there is is ice everywhere around him. Because you, this text brings us to an insight about what sin is. Sin is a refusal to listen to God. It says, I'm at the center of the universe. I'll do it my way. Because you and I were built to listen to God, to respond to him. Now listen. I'm going to give you, I, I thought about lot, what does this look like practically? Because God says that if you grasp, you'll die. You will die. Maybe not immediately. It'll feel like life initially. That this is good. This tastes great. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, this is death. So let me throw out a few examples, all right? You can, there's, there's, there's many, many applications of this, and it's very profound. Because the issue is I don't want to grasp for things that look like they'll give me life because I'm afraid. But rather, they'll end up killing you. But rather, I want to surrender to God. So let's take, for example, how many of us have gotten involved with careers and projects, but we did it out of fear? We were obsessed out of fear. We, we wanted to be thought of as successful. We wanted to, we didn't want to disappoint people. We didn't want to be seen as a failure, and so we, we went for it, and what happened was what really we thought would lead us to life, it led to death because we were motivated by fear, not by God. Or how about those of us who have children? You know, we raise our kids. We want the best for our kids. That's a good thing. But how many of us, you know, we, we want to get our kids into the best schools and the best programs and the best arts and the best music program, the best everything, and, and we push them because we're really afraid. 
we're afraid they won't, we're afraid they, they, life won't, they won't make it. They won't be the best. They won't be everything they can be. And, but really what's motivating us is fear, not God. And what we really thought would bring such life ends up bringing death. I had a couple of parents really call me on that one because it's very deep. We engage in sex outside of the vow of marriage. And because we're afraid, it's like, oh my gosh, if I trust God, I'll be single the rest of my life. I'll never enjoy the pleasures of sexuality or another human being. And, and so out of fear, we end up in situations where we're, we're, we're giving of ourselves and taking of someone. And we, it may even feel great for a few moments, but afterwards we just feel lousy about the whole thing. Or the relationship is all messed up because it was all out of God's order because we grabbed something before it was God's time. And it was just a big mess. And what we thought would lead to life leads to death. We grab that tree. How many of us, we want, we want a relationship so bad to work, whether it's a friendship or our family or whatever, marriage, church, kids, whatever. We, just, we want this relationship to work so bad that we will not speak the truth. We'll be false peacemakers because we're afraid. And so we shut our mouths. We say, you know what, I'd rather, I'd rather just shut my mouth because rather than risk losing everything. And so out of fear, we grab basically false peacemaking rather than trusting God with the whole and what looks like it'll be life that'll preserve the relationship ends up being death anyway, worse than we ever expected. You know, I, I recently have been corresponding with, a, um, with the daughter of Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce is the founder of World Vision. How many of you know World Vision? It's, it's a part of one of the largest Christian ministries, I think, in the world that feeds poor people. And uh, Bob Pierce is the founder of World Vision. His daughter eventually wrote a book about him. And uh, we were corresponding about her book. And, and, and uh, Bob Pierce, in the 1940s and 50s, uh, was probably one of the most gifted you know, Christian leaders, along with Billy Graham in, in, the, in the West. And uh, he began doing uh, crusades all over Southeast Asia and Africa and uh, Latin America. And he had a great ministry with the poor. And World Vision is known for feeding the poor. Uh, and he would lead thousands to Christ. But as his daughter writes about in the book, it's, it's really heavy to read, is that part of it was driven by fear. Because it was like, if I don't do this, these these people will be lost forever, or these kids will die. And so I've got to keep driving and building this thing. And so he would travel. He had a family who was married. He, had, he traveled 10 months a year uh, for a full 20 years. And, and he, um, he so beat his body into the ground, he traveled over a million miles by plane a year, that by before age of 50, he had to be hospitalized for well over a year. His body was so wrecked from the way he pushed it for 20 years, he never recovered from the damage into his own body. And uh, his family, I mean, he ended, up, he ended up divorcing his wife because he didn't have time for, you know, just didn't have time for his kids. It was just a mess. But part of it was, and his daughter writes about it, he was grasping, I got to do it now. Save all these people. And he just couldn't stop. You know what it's like to be on an adrenaline rush? It's like you just can't stop grabbing. I mean, I, I related to his book. It was absolutely frightening, you know. But what looked like it would lead to life, building this great ministry, ended up leading to death. And actually, the board of World Vision had to fire him, and he founded it. They had to get rid of him. So the thing would survive, because he was destroying it. But it had so damaged his character and his spiritual life, he died a complete shambles. It's a really frightening story. But he grabbed, even in the name of God. You see, the great scary thing is, you can be very willful and grasping as a believer. I know, I am one, you know. And, and uh, listen, we bought this church two and a half years ago. Um, we were scared. I mean, it was a, there was a healthy fear. I mean, it was like, this is a lot of money and a big building. We didn't know what was going to 
you know, we didn't know what it was going to be like in terms of bills and all that, and we'd never owned anything before. We'd just been renters. We had very low expenses, and it was scary. And so the, the, the immediate thought was, well, let's, you know, let's add a third service at night, because obviously, you know, New York's a night culture. A lot of people at New Life work days. They can't even come to church on Sundays. And, uh, you know, we had the building anyway. But, uh, and I've always wanted to do a night service. I always thought it was a great idea. But the truth was, and as we wrestled with it as an elder board, yeah, we wanted to do a night service, but it was totally out of fear. It was for money. It was, it was for money. It was, it was driven by, we're afraid that we won't have the money, so let's, let's do a third service. And, and it was grasping. And uh, I thank God, we, you know, we didn't do it. You know, like, we knew it would be death to all of us. It wasn't God's time. So you can do something for God, but it's really done out of self-will. And it's really done out of fear. And it can look great, but it's driven underneath by a fear that God won't come through. Maybe he's really not good. Maybe he's going to leave me hanging. And so I grasp for him and I, go, and I go crazy. You know, how many of us make quick decisions out of fear? We're waiting and it's not clear what to do. Do I do this, this, or this? And we say, you know what? I don't know. I can't wait anymore because if I get, it could be, I could be in such a deep hole, I'll never get out. Not that we don't make decisions when we're in those situations. But you know what I'm talking about? When all, you're in this, I just, and you just grasp because you, you don't like the limbo, so you just make a call rather than having really waited on God even to make that decision. You know Psalm 73, when um, the, the author of Psalm 73, he, he's looking at everybody around him who's not following God. They're doing great. You ever do like, look at these people. They're not Christians. They're, their lives are better than me. They're richer. They're happier. They're, all the circumstances, they go, circumstances are going their way. Look at me. I'm under trials, difficulties here. And, 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 he, and he writes, you know, why is everybody prospering? And so we look at that and we say, you know what? I'm going to just grab, make my own life here. Because God's not showing through. And, and he says in, in Psalm 73, I, it was oppressive to me to look around me and look at the wicked prospering until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. Oh, I, I got out of grasping, and I just surrendered, got to God, and then it all became clear to me. That's why some of you are in trials and difficulties right now and, 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 and great pressure. And the great temptation is, well, I don't know where God is right now, so I just got to, I better, I better go to take over life myself and start grasping the tree to make sure I got, my, I got some footing here. And if God shows up later, that'll be helpful. And that's why it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 10, amidst all the trials and tribulations, it says this calls for patient endurance and perseverance on the part of the saints. To not grasp, not try to do it like everybody else does, but rather we surrender to the love and the will of God and we, and we, and we wait on him. Last example, I mean, I just had to limit it. You know what it's like to go through great pain and loss and a season that's just a difficult season of life you're in a winter and you get afraid you're like oh my gosh i mean i feel like i'm in a hole and i'm in like a bottomless abyss and i don't know when it's going to end and out of fear you just start saying i, I just gotta I, this pain of like i don't like the pain and so you just grab and in your case maybe it's an addiction you just want to medicate the pain i just want the feeling that are bad to go away and so you, you say, all right, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know where God is, but it's a great tree in front of me. I grab it. And so whether it's alcohol or drugs or watching 25 videos a weekend, you know, DVDs, or busyness, getting so busy, you know, I don't have to stop and think anymore. And we think it's going to give me life because I'll be so busy I won't think. ends up bringing me death long term. And so most of us, let's face it, we have a willful Christianity. It's willful. It's us striving and we grasp the tree versus this willing 
willingness to stop at the tree and kind of surrender to the rhythm, and I surrender to the love of God. I mean, I, listen, I feel terrible preaching this sermon. I mean, I'm, this is a challenge. I, most of my Christianity has been a willful Christianity. I'm very aware. I mean, God's working in me, but it has been some ride. I'm like Jesus in the garden, you know, not, not my will, but thy will be done. God, uh, your will, as long as it's a good, good will, you know, as long as it's not painful, I'll do it. But if it's painful, I'll grasp for you, of course, you know, and I'll just grasp it. And it's very easy to live the Christian life totally willfully and striving and really grasping the tree and not surrendering to it. And so the, the, the God has destined you and destined me for a beautiful life. I want you to hear that. Genesis, like I said, this is a beautiful life prior to sin, as God meant it to be lived. But it is a life of joyfully surrendering to his love and trusting he is good and his love endures forever. It is so simple, but it is so difficult because something in us just rebels and says, no, you know, we want to control. We want to be, we don't want to be this creature, human, humbly waiting, mystery hidden. Just forget all that. Why is the stupid tree in the garden? Does it have to be in the center of the garden where I can just grab it? Couldn't it be in a corner? Couldn't it be like around, like, you know, 10 miles down the road, be in a cave? Does it have to be right in front of me? It's like, God, you must want me to sin. You put it right there. And I've heard people say that. God, if he didn't want, I, I figured it was, it was so available. It just had to be okay with God. And, and it's a big mess. Now, Jesus is our second Adam, it says in the book of Romans. Our first Adam failed the test, okay, and grabbed and grasped. But Jesus, the second Adam, went through the wilderness and he did not grasp. He did not sin. And so we see the devil saying to him, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. You know, you're, you, what do you do? You don't do anything. You're a loser. Grab it. Do it. And he could do it because you, you can grab the tree. You're right. You can do it. You can run your own life. You've got the power to do it. And Jesus did not. He says, you know, uh, he, he did not touch it. Jesus, Jesus, just bow with me for a minute. Just bow to me and all the kingdoms will be yours. You, know, you won't be such a loser. People will think you're, you know, you're somebody, you know, because you, you possess nothing. You, you're going to die naked. And Jesus didn't grasp. He let it go. He says, no, I'll worship God and God alone. And remember, they said, jump down, Jesus. You know, people think you're, people think you're a loser. People think you're a failure. You popular rabbis out there. You're nothing. You're here in the wilderness. You're dying of hunger. Grasp it. Just, you know, jump down from the temple. Then everybody will believe in you. And Jesus, just grasp it, Jesus. So other people think well of you. And he just, he refused. And uh, remember, if you eat from the tree, if you grab, it will kill you. Make no mistake about it. When God says, you, when you eat of it, you will die. And the voice may come and say, no, it, they will die, but not, you will not die. Right? You hear the voice, no, it won't be so bad. Grab it. Grasp it. You can ask forgiveness later. No, no, you'll die. It will bring death to you. It may not bring death to you. Adam and Eve didn't die the next moment when they grasped it. They died much later, but they died. Now, we talk, we've talked, I want to make an application. Now, we've talked about Sabbath rhythm, right? We spent some time that, see, our rebellious will does not want to surrender. But Jesus, our second Adam, has died for our sins, risen again, and now he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. Now, through the power of God inside of us and the person of the Holy Spirit, you have the grace and the ability to not grasp, but rather to trust in God. We all do. 
but there's still something warring inside of us, isn't it? The sometimes says, ah, grab it. And so we've talked about Sabbath, the importance of that for cutting through our spirituality of, of, of you know, surrendering to this rhythm of I work and I stop, right? So here's what I want us to do. I want you to, I want you to pull out this sheet called the daily office. And I've talked about that. There's something about a weekly rhythm. I have a dream. And my dream is simple for this year. To see us progress as a church, that many of us will begin to integrate Sabbaths into our lives, that our whole lives are centered on God. Remember, the invitation to a beautiful life is your life is not segmented to religious and non-religious, work and God. No, your whole life is God. That when you're at work tomorrow, you're working for God. When you are shopping at Wallbaums, you're in the presence of God. When they were in Eden, no matter what they did, they were in the presence of God. That no matter what you do in your life, you are in, you're aware and sensitive to the loving presence of God around you. Life is not segmented into these categories. Now, the daily office is a way of having a mini Sabbath each day or a number of mini Sabbaths. It's stopping. It helps us build rhythm and so i've spoken about this before and uh, i just want to mention it briefly here as, as we close because i believe the key to not grasping is you've got to develop your relationship with god so that you're sensitive to the holy spirit you're you know the word of god someone you know first at, at the first service says pete but I, I need to know how do i know god's will about this and that and remember that whole series on discovering god's will and you want to get those dates you know but but it comes out of a relationship of consolations desolations you're waiting on him you're listening your life is lord what would you have me to do i'm open to listen to you the daily office basically you'll notice the purpose of it is to stop and surrender that's the purpose and uh, it comes out of a whole tradition going back to David, seven times a day do I praise thee, to Daniel, three times a day, to the early church and Jews and church history, you name it. And basically, I wrote this as a help for some of us in this room, and, and I don't, it doesn't matter what you do, I don't believe whether you read Psalms or read Scripture, read a devotional, and I think we all got to find our own way in this. But I wrote this as a help, something you can put in your Bible, and it's this. I don't believe a quiet time is enough to make it. Many of us, many of us, we start our day with a little time with God. But by 11 o'clock, we, we forgot him. God who? You know, and by 3 o'clock, we're, we're beasts. We're mean. And by dinner time, we're wolves. We're just, we're, we're out of control. We're, we're just grasping everything. And just like I need Sabbath to stop me, I have found personally, I think it's a rich treasure in Scripture and history, this idea of pausing or stopping this rhythmic thing during the day not just once but two three or four times and it doesn't i don't think it really matters what you do but the key thing is this it's not going you know you stop midday okay god listen i'm having my boss change my boss he is so ornery oh god you know by the way you know my i'm broke i need some money god and so most of us we stop and we got petitions god do this god do that that is not what this is about this is about stopping to be with god to enjoy him to listen to him, to wait on him, to revel in his love. It's a different emphasis. It's not about getting from God. It's being with God. And so you'll notice, and, and, and this is just, you know, I, I, I just, I believe that in this culture in which we live in, we need greater pauses. So I want to encourage some of you, try it at midday. 
Paul says, I, I have a really hard time stopping at midday, just so you know. I, I, I get manic. I mean, Jerry knows. I get manic. I'm, I'm on the phone. I'm, I'm emailing. I'm writing. I'm doing this. And I'm just like, I can't, you know, it's like I can't stop, like a crack addict. I'm, you know, I'm just like, I'm just, you know, I, and I know, like, oh, Pete, midday, stop, stop, stop. I'm like, no, I can't, no. stop. You know, it's like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. You know, I'm in, these, I'm, in this, I'm in this back and forth. I'm like, no. You know, but if I, the stopping just helps me just, okay, and, and, and to surrender to the love of God. And to, and to trust him versus keep just start making decisions and quickly without trusting him. So if you look at, like, for example, let's take, let's take like the evening prayer, which I, you know, I, so I, uh, let me say clearly, for me, this has been life. I'm not looking to introduce a new legalism, but I want to encourage you to, to really build into your life some rhythm during a day to slow down to rest in God. So say, for example, in the evening. Maybe it's after dinner. You don't have kids. Or maybe before you go to bed. But you're going to end your day with God. And so you may just, you know, look at Psalm 141 opening. You know, when you're on your bed, search your heart and be silent. And I'll just like, how was my day? And just be silent before God. And then, then I'll, you know, it's good to praise the Lord. Psalm 92 in the opening prayer. Make music to your name. To proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. You know, I'll just stop there and that's it. I just meditate on the faithfulness of God during that day for me. And it just it gives, brings my day to a close. And Lord, I'm just good to be with you, you know. And, and then I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. You know, Lord, I'm not waiting for this or that. I'm waiting for you. I look forward to seeing you face to face. Then it's got the Beatitudes, I think, after that. That series in the Beatitudes. Remember that series? And it got some prayers based on the sermons. You know, just, to, just centering me with God and enjoying God. I just take my time, every amount of time I've got. But I want to encourage you. I, I, I think we need a rhythm. I got a dream for us that we're, we're, you know, we're all in our jobs. We're all dispersed during the week. Public schools, teachers, and Wall Street, and some of us are home raising kids, and others in the police department. Some of us have our own businesses. But let's imagine midday, we all, somewhere, we just stop to be with God for five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you've got, 20 minutes. But I believe the greatest gift we can give our friends and neighbors in the city, we can give God if we have God. If we're walking with God, we're not grasping, we're different because we're rooted in him and we've kind of slowed down to enter the rhythm of God. This is so countercultural, everybody. This is a revolution of orienting your entire life around God, that my life is God. I don't have my life in categories, God on Sundays and work the rest of the week. No, all of my life is lived in the presence of God, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. And so if I stop... As my good friend says, Pete, by stopping for set times, I'm aware that all time belongs to God. See, by stopping for a Sabbath once every seven days, it makes you aware that all time is holy. By pausing for brief times, two, three times a day, you realize, oh, all of time is God's time. Not just those five minutes or ten minutes or half hour. It's all God's. So again, do whatever gives you life and uh, you know, read a devotional, whatever. All right, I want to invite the worship team forward. I want to close with this comment. I want to invite you I know that you're like I am. That inside of you is this warring flesh that wants to grasp. And so I ask you today, what is it that you're grasping? That is not God. 
to which he is calling you to stop and surrender and trust his love for you, even though you don't know how, why, where, when, you're trusting in his goodness for you. What is it for you in your life today? What does that look like? And how, and I want to ask, invite you all to stand with me. We're going to ask God to help us to stop. Our lives are not 24-7, but to stop and enter his deep rhythm for us. It's a great song here that comes from the Psalms. I don't know, it's from different verses in the Psalms, but the words are magnificent. And I want to invite you to pray this with me back to God, surrendering your heart that God might make it soft before him. Some would say that you cannot be found, and some would say that you're far away. And the evil one would say those voices to us, right? Don't trust God. He'll wreck your life. He'll ruin your life. Give him half of yourself just in case. Let's sing it together, right? And you'll see the word, but Lord, you are good. Your love endures forever. You know, the Christian life is a lot like Abraham. He had to leave his home, his family, his country, everything comfortable. He went to a land into the unknown. He didn't know. And really, isn't that the whole Christian life? It's constantly like, like, I just thought I got settled, God, and now it's like, well, where are we going next? And it's this, he invites us to, to love him and trust him. You are good and your love endures forever. So as we close here, I, I mean, all, all the worship prayer teams, come on forward, and we'll stay here and worship. If you want to be, let's keep it quiet in here, and we can talk outside on the way downstairs. And, but I want to invite two groups forward for prayer. The first group, you, you, you know who you are. You just got this. You, you just got this built-in grasp. And you just grasp every minute you get. And everything against you is everything in you is control. And you know God is trying to break that out of you. Break that willfulness, that stubbornness, and, and crack it in two to, to make you soft. And, and you know you're at some significant crossroads, and it is time for change. But you cannot change yourself. I know I can't change myself. It is the work of God. So I want to invite you to come and you're and pray. Oh, God, I need the Holy Spirit to invade me, to, to crack this thing. It goes back generations in my family and probably goes back hundreds of years in my family and culture. And I need God to just, just touch me. In.